for this series, I could tell you this. It'd be good to take some notes. It'd be good to have something that you're kind of processing through. Um, because this series is talking about what do you believe? Now, here's the deal. As a church, we want to be a church of people who not just knows what we believe, but why we believe it. All right? And uh, a lot of people kind of just stall out in their progression. Okay? They, they know God, but they don't continue to grow in their knowledge of God relationally, but also informationally. Okay? And so this series has kind of a mixture of all of that. But this is what we're going to do for the next four months. We're going to talk about in this month, February, what do we believe about God? Okay, the second month, what do we believe about Jesus? Third month, the Holy Spirit. Fourth month, the church. What do we believe about God, Jesus, Spirit, and the church? Basically, it's our statement of faith, guys. It's what we're walking through. And so uh, in that, I want you to personalize this. What do you believe? What do you believe about God? Because sometimes we come to buildings like this, we watch online, and we hear somebody else talk about what they believe about something. But if we don't personalize it and say, man, what do I believe? It could kind of get a little bit fuzzy, right? You can maybe just hear things, but you never process through it. And so this series, this is something that we really believe that we need to process through. So there's a lot of important questions we have to ask, and uh, I believe it's going to be really good. And so with that, y'all ready? Ready? Here we go. All right, so what do you believe? Believe, this word that we use in a lot of different facets of life. You know, what do you believe about, uh, about creation? Or what do you believe about, you know, how you like you, your coffee? Or what do you believe? You know, like, we say this word a lot, but, but belief is really a very strong word. It's meaning I am all in in this train of thought. I'm, I'm putting all my trust and my belief in something. And by virtue of saying I believe in one thing, I'm also saying that I do not believe in another thing. Right? You, you can't believe two opposing arguments at the exact same time. At some point, there is choosing one or over the other. And so whenever I say I believe in, in one, then I don't believe in two. Okay? Or there might be a spectrum to it, but generally speaking, you guys get, you know, it's like, I believe that one plus one is two. Well, I don't believe that one plus one is two. We got a problem, okay? You, you can't believe both of those things at the same time. And so today, we're going to begin to talk about that in regards to what we believe about God. So three important questions that I believe we all need to at least be aware of is number one, why do I believe what I believe? Number two is how do I grow in my belief? And number three, how do I talk to others about my belief and their belief? How do I process through it? In First Peter he, he, he tells us that we need to be able to give reason for the hope that we have in us. And so some people, when it comes to the hope that they have in them as a believer, they sort of just kind of get a little bit, um, they kind of glitch out in a conversation because they haven't processed through certain things verbally or intellectually. And so, so then what happens is that there's this fear of getting in certain conversations because I might not know what to say at the exact right time and they might win, right? Or there might be this bit of information that comes into play and it really throws me off. And so that's why it's so important that we can answer these questions. Why do I believe what I believe, right? How am I growing in that belief? And then how am I going to be able to engage in a conversation with others about their belief uh, as well? So this is why this series matters to us. In the past 15 years, these are some of the stats that are coming out is that those professing Christianity have de decreased by 9%. This is in our nation, decreased by 9%. Also, those with atheistic or agnostic worldviews has nearly doubled. 
right? So there's this shift that's happening in our culture. And this is one that, that really gets me, is 47% of Christian millennials believe evangelism is wrong, that it is offensive, that it is something that we, right? Our belief systems, that's your belief, this is my belief, this relativistic thinking, and therefore I don't want to offend someone, so therefore it's wrong to step out and say I disagree with you in the name of tolerance, right? Or whatever the case is. This is kind of what's been washing over us for the last few years more and more, and it's growing. And so now we've got Christian millennials, all right, that's like, that's my age and a little bit younger, who, uh, by the way, I'm 35, not 17, so uh, <laughs> you're not a millennial, yes. But uh, in that, that, that 47% of Christian millennials would think that evangelism, there's some sort of negative feel to it. That's, uh, that's some really bad news, y'all. That's some very bad news. And so we've got to talk about these subjects. I think that it's, it's, it's really a, a black eye on the church to not talk or, or at least process through the questions that, cre- that uh, culture has about God, about, se- about sexuality, about all of these things. We have got to process through these questions. And, and I believe in the church, we should be bringing a biblical worldview to all of these things as much as we can. So that means we have to engage in these conversations, not run from them. So our mission statement at Northwood Church is this. We exist to help people know God. And that's a big statement. It's kind of broad because it is a very broad situation. People know God in different ways or they need to know about God or know God in different ways. And so we want to provide environments where that can take place. It's our mission. And it's why we feel burdened. And I've felt burdened for this series for a very, very long time. And uh, to, to process through this, you know, sometimes I'll talk to somebody and um, they'll start asking questions and, and honestly, they're asking all the wrong questions. They're just asking the wrong questions. You can know a lot about where you're at in your faith or in your belief in anything based upon the questions that come to mind. And a lot of times they're just the wrong questions. And so we've got to work through things. So we're asking the questions that matter, that, that, that matter to us individually, but also to us corporately as a church, and then also to us just in our culture nationally and internationally. What are the questions that we have? So that's why we're talking about this. Now, when it comes to belief, I believe that there's two kind of legs that you stand on when it comes to belief. I believe that there's information and there's experience. Information and experience. Now, you know, we, we all in this place, we have the right brain thinkers and we have the left brain thinkers. We got the creatives and the ambiguous and the sure emotional and feely, which is not bad. But then you have those that are like, like, I got to have a answer of information. You know, I got to work through this logically, blah, 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 blah roughly speaking, okay? We've got these two groups of people, and a lot of people, they'll work their way to faith or work their way to God in this informational way, and then you'll have other people that say, you know, I don't need all the information, I just need to experience God. And I, I wanna say that, that both of those extremes are actually negative, because there's error or there's danger in both of them. I think information without experience is really powerless and kind of thin because there's not a relationship or an emotion or or whatever to it. So for instance, you know, if, if, if you know about your spouse, but you don't know your spouse, that's weird. Like I know their height, their weight. I know like, you know, what they like on their spaghetti. I don't know. I know these, these things, but I, have you ever met your spouse? No, I've never met them. I don't really know them. When's the last time you talked to them? I don't know that I really ever have. 
talk to them per se. How do you can't say that exactly, right? You either know your spouse relationally or not. And, and so, so there's that side that it could be just information and it's powerless. But at the same time, you can have a bunch of experiences and that can really be dangerous in itself because you know experience can be dangerous. Here's the deal, this is what I mean by that. If there's no structure or parameter or doctrine, okay, then what are you actually believing? And so then what happens is you begin to chase these feelings or these experiences, and that's where mysticism comes into play in Christianity and in a lot of other religions, mysticism or, or spiritualism, right? Where it's like you know there's this divine energy and it starts getting very ambiguous, whereas for Christians, the Bible is pretty specific about these things. And so it, we've, we've got to really have both. And I think that, that some people lean one way or the other, and whichever one you lean to, I want to encourage you to continue to grow in that, but also reach out and grab the other side of the other rope at the same time and create this tension. It's very important that we have this understanding, especially going into this series, because there's going to be a lot of information. Today is going to be very informational, but I think it's going to help a lot of you. If you are very experiential, it's time to grow informationally. And if you're very informational, it's time to grow experientially with God, both and. So the question today is this, does God exist? Does God exist? A massive question that has honestly been in play for a very long time, but even more specifically in the 17th and 18th century when the enlightenment period really kind of came to the forefront in the last few hundred years, we've experienced this question in a greater degree where this mindset that, that as human beings, we can know basically everything that we have the ability in ourselves to figure things out, where science and reason came to the forefront. Philosophy really took over. Honestly, nowadays, we're so philosophical in the way that we think, and we, we, we don't even know it. We don't even know it sometimes, you know, where we're just going through life and we don't realize that we have all of these puzzle pieces that are coming together that form our belief system, but it's just always been like that. The thing is, is that the way that we process information and process the world is very different in the last few hundred years, comparatively speaking, to before that. It really is. And there was always sects of people who were thinking this way, but now it's very predominant. And honestly, technology has just blown it up again in our generation, that we can know things, right? That, I mean, if I Google it enough, I'll come to a conclusion, right? We have this thing in us that, that we can know. And so, so this question of does God exist, I think this question matters for all of us in this room. Some of you, you don't have a problem with God's existence. Like, you believe it, you've experienced it. It's just like, yeah, cool. You don't struggle with it. Well, I want to bring to you the proposition that maybe you should engage in this conversation for yourself and process through some things because there's a lot of people that need your help. You got friends and family and people that are in your school, whatever the case is, they're processing through stuff. And if you can't give a reason for the hope that's within you, you might be somebody that God wants to use, use as a key, a hinge pin in somebody's faith. But you're, they're like, well, why do you believe in Jesus? And you're like, well, I just have faith. Okay, well, I'm gonna go over here and talk to this other person that might have like a couple more things to say about why they believe and why they're basing their existence on their belief system, right? 
we should be able to give some reason for what we believe. And so, so if you don't struggle, but if you do struggle, I'm not naive. In this room today, there are so many different people, so many different people watching online or watching cable, whatever the case is. And look, there are people who just flat out don't believe in God. They just don't believe. And maybe they've got some reasoning behind it, but they don't believe in God. And so we can't be naive to that. Uh, we, we can't you know, deny that. We've got to engage in it. So today's message, answering the question, does God exist? I want you to picture this. I want you to picture that you are like at a, you know, Starbucks or whatever, you're sitting across the table, maybe it's your dining room table, and you're talking to someone about what they believe about God. You're engaging in a conversation. And how do you engage with somebody who does or does not believe in God? What does it look like? Well, the first thing is this, is that internally, you must be motivated by love. Come on, y'all, especially believers, if you believe in Jesus, guys, look, if you go into a conversation and you don't love that person and, and you're not motivated by this, this empathy for them, like just shut up and don't say anything, honestly, because all you're gonna end up doing is just getting in an argument, right? And then in that argument about trying to show how good God is, you end up misrepresenting him altogether. You know, you've got to be motivated by love in the first thing. It's an internal thing that you're motivated by love. You're going to be patient and gentle and kind, right? First Corinthians 13, that you're going to be loving whenever you engage in any conversation. Politically speaking, come on, church, let's be the church. Let's represent Jesus well, but also when it comes to what we believe. So the second thing would be this, that you need to find common ground. When you go into a conversation with anybody, you've got to look for common ground. What do we agree on? What do you agree on? And if you're talking about does God exist, what do you agree on with them? Well, I think the first thing that we all can agree on is this, that everyone has a belief system. Everyone has a belief system. Some people think they don't, don't, but, but everyone does have a belief system. And we like to think that our beliefs are built on hard facts, right? We have these hard facts that this is why, but the reality is that all our beliefs have gaps. All of our beliefs have gaps. Whether you believe in God or not, all of your beliefs have these gaps, have these things, these questions that you can't fully give an answer for. And that's where the word comes into play, faith, right? Faith. See, faith is the belief in something when the physical evidence doesn't fully support it. Doesn't fully support it. There's evidence, but is there 100% proof? That's where things get a little weird. So it's important for you to know your audience. If you're going to engage in a conversation and find common ground about everyone having a belief system, you have to know what their belief system is. And so there's a spectrum when it comes to people's belief in whether God exists or not. And I'll start kind of on one side and work our way forward. One side is atheism, which they believe that God does not exist. He doesn't exist. That's what they've chosen to believe. God doesn't exist. That's kind of what they would say. Number two would be an agnostic, which would really say maybe God exists. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he does. I'm neutral. The, the, the issue with that is that you could still say that you believe that God either does or doesn't. Like, it has to be one or the other, right? Like, either God exists or he doesn't. Can I just say that? Like, either he does or he doesn't. Either way, but you can't live in this middle ground of nothingness because it's factual. It's either there or it's not. Whatever that force is or isn't, it's either there. So, so agnosticism, although seemingly an intellectual place of, uh, to stand, at the same time, you're just, it's just another belief system. 
So the third thing would be a deist. And a deist would say that God does exist, but is not personally involved, currently involved in the universe. Just this force, this ambiguous force out there. A theist would say that God does exist and is personally involved. So atheist, agnostic, uh, uh, deist, theist. And, and if you play that out, we are one of the underlying categories of a theist. That's, did you know that today, that you're a theist? I don't know if you knew that, but more specifically, we're, 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 we have a monotheistic belief system. We believe there's one God. Okay, now here's the deal. There's 4,200 religions in the world. A lot of options. A lot of options. And see, this is one thing that happens when people study a lot of different religions. All of them begin to sort of mesh together in a lot of different ways, right? It's like, well, this one looks like this one. And, there, and then you'll hear, well, there's elements of truth in all of them. Well, I'll say this. Um, yeah, I think there are elements of truth in all of them. That's the point. <laughs> See, a false religion, or one that you would believe is a false religion, or a true religion, they're going to share certain characteristics. It wouldn't be deceptive if it wasn't that way, right? You'd be able to just, just see it. I talked to a guy years ago, and uh, he was a Muslim, and, and he said, you know, of course, I, I was like 17 and didn't really know that much, didn't really know why I believe what I believe in a lot of different areas, and he was like, my God and your God are the same. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah. And we began to talk, and halfway through, I was like, I don't think that your God's the same as mine, because like, you said if somebody would hurt your family or steal something from you, that you would go and murder them. And my God says not to do that. <laughs> and uh, he was like, no, no, that's like, you know. And it was very intriguing to talk and see how many similarities there were, but then actually you begin to see that there was this mirror image, but not in a positive sense, of who God was. It kind of ran parallel, but there was a lot of characteristics of who God was. It just didn't mesh out. So anyway, there's a lot of different uh, categories under a theist. And so here we are as Christians, one of many, and here we are claiming that ours, our belief system is the only one that matters. Honestly, right? I mean, so by the way, whenever you ask somebody, do they believe in Jesus? You need to understand that you are assuming that they believe that number one, there is a God, some sort of God. You're believing that they also believe that he created everything that we see and know, right? Then, then you're believing that he thinks that that God is personally still involved in creation. And then you're working your way to that that God is the God of the Bible. And then that that God personified himself in the, in the person of Jesus. And that Jesus died and, and paid the price for our sin, right? And, and that now that applies to our living. It should, like today, it should affect the way that we live today and all of our eternity. See, sometimes we just assume some of these things. And we just say it, and, and we assume that people believe like we believe because it's just black or white. It is not. There is a spectrum. And if we're not like knowledgeable of that, right, we can't be sensitive to that. We can't have empathy with those people and get where they're at. This is important, right? That there's a spectrum of belief. And so, so kind of moving forward with this thinking, 
Regardless, it takes faith in every single belief system and in every category, and there are gaps in every category, and we must acknowledge this as we move forward in in this conversation that we're having, right? So we're asking the question, does God exist? Now, out of everything that we've talked about, the only arm or the only belief system that that disregards or rejects the, the, the existence of God would be atheism. So what does it look like to have a conversation with an atheist? So as believers, again, it's, it's important that we establish that we are motivated in a loving uh, way, in a loving mindset to help these people. And honestly, let's be honest, to, the hope to persuade them. Today, I hope that if you're here today and you find yourself in an atheistic worldview or even an agnostic worldview, that, that there would be some persuasion in what we talk about, right? I think it matters. So there's very many, there's a lot of uh, compelling reasons to really reject or at least question the belief system that an atheist would hold. And uh, we're going to quote a lot of people, share a lot of information I think is going to be very helpful for you, and one of which is Quentin Smith. He is a a modern-day philosopher and professor at Western Michigan State, and he's talking about increasing theism. And he says this, the field of philosophy is being desecularized across universities in America. One quarter to one third of the philosophy departments now consist of theists, generally Christians might not hear that very often, right? He said this as well. God is not dead in academia. He returned to life in the 1960s and is now alive and well in in his last academic stronghold philosophy departments. Philosophical conversations. You'd be shocked to know how many scientists are at, at the very least forced into agnosticism or deism or even theism because of some of the things that we're going to talk about today. So we want to offer some, some reasonable objections to atheism from people that would be considered intellectual or the, the ones who, come on, y'all, the people that do know. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, like there's people out there, they, they know. Like, they know what's going on. So, like, that's how we approach, in, uh, you know, professors in universities is that they know, well, let's, let's talk about some of those people who know and what they say about it. J'Angelo Corlett is a modern philosopher specializing in ethics and epistemology, and uh, he's an agnostic who suggests that you can't deny the possibility of a higher power, one of these people who know. He's an agnostic, but he's like, look, I'm up in this, all up in this mix, and I'm telling you, there's, there's, not, there's, there's reasonable objections to the fact that atheism is not a logical way to think or believe. Anthony Flew, he's actually an English professor who died in 2019. He was very antagonistic to Christianity for many years, really his whole life. And he renounced his atheism in 2004, and he wrote a book, it's There Is a God, Right? So this is a guy that spent his whole life studying and at the end of his life renounced all of the things that he studied, all of the things that he wrote about, which is intriguing because if someone uses a book that someone wrote when they were 40, but then whenever the person was 75, they said, actually, I'd like to discount all of that. This is actually what I believe at the end of my life after studying it all. We continue to use their philosophy or their thinking in our, in our schools and in our thinking. And the very person that wrote it's like, man, listen, that, I was just throwing some ideas out there, and I think at the end of the day, none of it's useful, but yet we're still quoting them, right? So just to, just to kind of add that in there, um, he said this, atheism is no longer a logical, tenable, or defensible position to hold. It's just nine, 10 years ago. Now, I want to quote Charles Darwin, kind of a big name, right? Kind of 
We, we sort of all have been taught the things that he said and, and, and some things that are still being worked on and worked out today. He died in 1882, and this is one of his letters that he wrote. He said this, within me, the horrid doubt always arises whether the convictions of a man's mind, which has been developed from the mind of lower animals, are of any value or at all trustworthy. At all trustworthy. There's this concept in an atheistic worldview, and uh, if you play it out, it defeats itself. It's not logical. You can't play it out long term because it begins to break down the further that you play it out. Mitch Stokes, he's an, a Christian author, a Christian philosopher, and he speaks to this and kind of clarifies or expands on this statement from Charles Darwin. He says this, atheists have a reason to doubt whether evolution would result in cognitive faculties that produce mostly true beliefs. And if so, then they have reason to withhold judgment on the reliability of their cognitive faculties. This ignorance would, if atheists are consistent, spread to all of their other beliefs, including atheism and evolution. There's no telling whether unguided evolution would fashion our cognitive faculties to pr produce mostly true beliefs. Thus, atheists who believe the standard evolutionary story must reserve judgment about whether any of their beliefs produced by these faculties are true. This includes the belief in the evolutionary story. Believing in unguided evolution comes built with its very own reason not to believe it. If you play it out, if there's no, un if there's this completely just loose evolution, it's just all happened by itself, if that's where you're coming from, then even in that, you can't even trust your own belief system. You can't because it's unguided. It's, it's just we could be seeing things distorted because, well, we just don't know. So, I mean, even, even some things that we hold to, in our belief systems, there's still gaps in those. And I think it's just important for us to believe and know and be um, uh, equipped with the understanding that those people who come across so intellectual, they don't know either. They don't know either. So don't be duped. Don't be, don't be deceived into thinking that the, all of the evidence supports this, this one belief system, because honestly, it doesn't, which is the second part of this message, which is this. We've got to follow the evidence. You've got to follow the evidence. We have to be committed to following the, where the evidence leads, not where we want it to lead. And that right there strikes a lot of fear in some people's hearts, because they're afraid that the evidence will lead away from God, away from a creator, and we're going to learn actually the complete opposite. There's actually a ton of scientific evidence that rationally suggests that God exists. And we also have, have to establish this thought that science and faith are not um, necessarily opposed to one another. That's another thought process, that the Bible and science are always at odds. And again, that's just not the case. Alistair McGrath, he's, a, um, a current, he's an Irish priest, a current theologian and apologist, and he wrote this book uh, called The Twilight of Atheism. And he says this, the idea that science and religion are in perpetual conflict is no longer taken seriously by any major historian of science. One of the last remaining bastions of atheism survives only at the popular level, namely the myth that an atheistic fact-based science is permanently at war with a faith-based religion. Science in many ways supports a biblical worldview. So if you hear people throw out these giant statements like, well, the Bible's already been debunked. 
What part? Like, which part? Like, the archaeological evidence? <laughs> that's not true. Like, space? That's not true. Microscopically? Definitely not true. What, like, like, where do we get off saying these things? Like, who is, who is you know, uh, arriving at these conclusions? Well, sometimes it's just been said a long time ago, and it keeps getting repeated. And then here we are in 2020, and we're like, oh, they, they already discovered it. So then people get duped. Christians get duped into thinking that I can't go that scientific route at all because they know they don't. Lewis Pastor, which I really appreciate him because um, I, like I like milk. And uh, right, he discovered pasteurization. And so he died in 1895, a well-known name. This is what he said. A bit of science distances one from God, but much science nears one to him. The more I study nature, the more I stand amazed at the work of the creator. Come on. Young person who's, you're in high school, you're in middle high school, you're in college, and, and you hear all of this scientific evidence that supports one specific worldview that's at odds with a biblical worldview, I want to encourage you that some of the things that people stand on, that they feel so confident on, is very shaky. It's very shaky. And especially as science even progresses, some of the things that we're hold so tightly to are beginning to crumble. And so don't, don't feel fearful. Don't feel like you don't have evidence yourself to stand on why your faith is reasonable. Because a little bit of science distances people from God, but a lot of science actually is full circle, brings them right back to saying, wait, hold on. Maybe there's something that I don't understand. And that's what we're finding. So there's a few different arguments for the existence of God, uh, by the way, all of which are very, very lengthy, and we don't have nearly enough time to talk about it. So uh, to, to which you're like, thank you, you know, three hours later. Um, by the way, all of these things that we're talking about today have been debated and they've been, they've been moved around. It's a current conversation all over the world for a very long time. And so I want to encourage you with this as well, is that you're not really seeking an end point of like, like complete factual evidence of 100% bam, because it's not there. It's not there. Either way, there is a gap. And I think it's important for us to realize that, right? What's the evidence? Well, we want to look at some of the evidence found in the universe. So the question of where did all of this come from, right? I think we all asked that question. And many of you over the years, you've just continued to ask that question. And you could take where we're at at 2020, and you could continue to ask that question over and over. Yeah, but what about this? But before that, but before that. So the question becomes, where did the universe come from? And we know that the universe began to exist at some point. It's been proven that there is a point in what we would call time, okay? There is a point in time where everything that we see and know, it started. It did. Now, when? But it started at some point. That is a big statement for a lot of people to actually consider that 
There was a start to this. And so we believe in also the principle of cause and effect, right? If something happened and there's an effect, there was a cause that started it. There was something that, that initiated it. And so some people would kind of fall into the category of saying that, that, that everything that we have started from nothing, because if there is a something, then we have to ask, what is that something? And so therefore, if we discount that there's something and we call it nothing, then we can, you know what I'm saying? We can kind of be built up and say that uh, there's, a, there's something we just haven't discovered yet. But it, it doesn't make logical sense that, that something comes from nothing, that an effect happened without a cause. And so David Hume, an 18th century skeptic, said this. I never asserted such an absurd proposition that anything might arise without a cause. But yet so many people, they have to lean this direction, that, that there's, there's something came from nothing. It's, it's just, it's a big deal in the argument. And so if there isn't a higher power or intelligent designer, then where did the things that we see and touch come from? It's just logical questions if you continue to ask them backwards. And for us as believers, who we do take the word of God as something that is truthful, right? Now, one thing I will say, if you're having a conversation with an atheist, I would not reach for the Bible at first, okay? Which for a lot of you, that messes with you. I know. But if you're having a question, right? If you're having a conversation around this question, to quickly reach out and grab that and not kind of travel through this train of thought, you may kind of shoot the gun too quick, right? Let the evidence, come on, if you, if you trust in the creation, right? You can trust in what we figure out, what we find. Colossians 1.16, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Big statement. Through him and for him. All things. See, the science world and the biblical world, again, not at opposition with each other, they both speak of the necessity of God. The necessity of God. And if we look, again, if we look at the, the, the macro level of creation, and we look at the micro level of creation, those people, again, who know, we can see the necessity of God. Dr. Robert Jastrow, he's an astronomer, he's a physicist, and he's the director, uh, director of NASA's Goddard Institute of Space Studies. This is what he said. Astronomers now find they have painted themselves into a corner because they have a, they've proven by their own methods that the world began abruptly in an act of creation to which you can trace the seeds of every star, every planet, every living thing in this cosmos and on the earth. And they have found that all this happened as a product of forces they cannot hope to discover. That there are what I or anyone would call supernatural forces at work is now, I think, a scientifically proven fact. Some things that were even assumed to be gaps, there's now be becoming, they're beginning to state, I think it's actually a fact. Is that, is that okay to say? Like, can we, can we say that? And some scientists refuse to say it because they know the implications of it. And some are like, hey guys, we have to concede. We have to say what we see. And we can't continue to lie. 
There's things that are pointing, evidence that is pointing in the, in, in, in the heavens, right, in, in, the, in, the, in the universe, but also if you study down at the microscopic level, it's the same thing. Many of you know who Francis Collins is. He's the, the scientist who uh, mapped the human genome. It's a big, big scientific discovery. So this man, this is what he says. The Big Bang cries out for a divine explanation. It forces the conclusion that nature had a defined beginning. I cannot see how nature could have created itself. Only a supernatural force that is outside of space and time could have done that. It's just forcing those that are studying the bigness of creation, forcing those who are studying the smallness of creation, it's forcing all of them to say there's something we can't explain that is a force, that is an intelligence, that is some sort of thinking that has laid all of this out. So if there's a a supposed God, what caused God? Well, simply put, nothing. God self-exists. Like He's not in need of something else to cause him because in the beginning, before the beginning, God always was. And, And join me right now in that thought, literally not making sense. Okay, yes. Now that we got that, we can't get that cool. Let's move on, okay? He self-exists. The aseity of God, he doesn't need us. He didn't create us because he needed us. He didn't create anything because he needed it. He self-exists. And we know that he self-exists because the natural law that physicists and other cysts hold fast to (laughs) demands that he exists. It demands it. One more piece of evidence that goes towards this, the existence of God, is the evidence of the second law of thermodynamics, the law of decay, of entropy, which it's simply this, you know, know, simply, right, (laughs) around these things. (laughs) That everything, it, it trends towards chaos. Like creation, like the things that we, it doesn't trend, trend towards order. It trends towards chaos. Things are drifting and trending in the opposite direction. And that's how all things are. It's what we see. It's what we know. Come on, y'all, just look at culture. Just people. We trend towards chaos. It's even us as, as, as people, as beings. And I think Tim Keller has a lot to offer in his uh, reason for the existence of God. It's called The Reason for God is his book. And it's really the teleological argument of God and and the order that we see. This is what he says. The probability of the universe coming into existence in the way it has, fine-tuned for human life, is impossible. Astrophysicists tell us that there were around 122 variables that would have had to be lined up in perfection in order for our universe to come into existence. And if any of those was off by even one part in a millionth, millionth, matter would not have been able to coalesce. There would have been no galaxies, no stars, no planets, and no people. It just doesn't make sense. Scholars actually say that the chance of the universe coming into existence, I love this, is one in 10 to the 138th power. Don't even act like you can figure that out right now. 10 to the 138th power. To give some context to that, the amount of atoms in the universe is believed to be 10 to the 70th power. Atoms in the universe is this number. And it's like almost double 
the probability that all of this could have just happened. If I told you right now that, that is, there's, a, there's a 1 in 10 to the 138th power possibility that your car will not explode whenever you get into it in a moment, how many of you would remain here the rest of the day? You're like, I'm not going anywhere, right? Because those types of odds, it's not logical for you to get inside of your car. But yet, for whatever reason, here we are today, and so many people are basing their entire existence off of one to the 10, one in 10 to the 38th, 138th power. Probability that it just happened. I don't think those odds work for me personally. The fact that harmony, order, and design are present in creation indicates some sort of intelligent design. Does God exist? Yeah, man, follow the evidence, right? James Jeans, another physicist and astronomer, says the universe begins to look more like a great thought than like a great machine. The more that you look at it, I mean, come on, y'all. The distance of the earth from the sun. Too far, we freeze. Too close, we burn up. The salinity in the ocean, the mixture of the oxygen and nitrogen and all these other things in the air and all of it coming together perfectly Right? I mean, the fact that your body is working right now. <laughs> you didn't think for a second, like, breathe. Breathe out. <sighs> Blink. Right? Heartbeat. Heartbeat. All ventricles beat. Yes. Continue. Blood continue to flow. Kidneys work. Like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, come on. But somehow it's happening, and, and people want to downplay those things as just, well, yeah, because of this and that and this and that. Keep playing it backwards. At some point, it's like, I just, it's a miracle. All this speaks to the eternality of God. Isaiah 44 says, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by himself. I love that God spoke to men to write down these words, and here we are in 2020 discovering that it's all true, that the universe is, is being stretched out. Come on. That all things point back to one, some sort of intelligent designer. Does God exist? You decide for yourself. The God who created all things, who through all things are held together, he is completely knowable at the same time. Maybe you're an atheist today, you're leaning towards agnosticism. Maybe you're an agnostic and you're leaning towards, okay, I could kind of step towards deism a little bit. And, but now it's like, I think he's personally involved in what's going on. Personally involved. Hebrews 1 says this, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. We, don't, we really don't understand what even holds atoms together. Well, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Well, okay. After making purifications for sin, sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The fact that there is a creator, there's some sort of intelligence, and, and as you begin to progress, you say, man, man he's, he, I believe that the Bible confirms that, and if that's true, then, then it also confirms that Jesus 
is God and that Jesus, that means that then God subjected himself, his son, to his own creation, to the sin, to the disobedience of mankind and, and died and suffered, bore that weight of sin upon himself in order to redeem us. He didn't just create us, then he redeems us. It's beautiful. It's the gospel. This is what we're basing our belief on. And so how does God's existence affect my life? If all these things are true, how does this affect our life? Well, I want to let you know this, is that if God exists and that if he is involved and if he is the God of the Bible and if Jesus is God who came to pay the price for us, it should reorganize everything about our life. It should reorganize the way that you approach people who are made in his image. It should reapproach uh, the, uh, the, the way that you approach your, your morality. It should change the, the, the purpose that you have in your life. And you should begin to take the word of God seriously. And it just begins to reorganize your thoughts, your actions, your attitudes, your calling. It begins to reorganize everything. John 1 says this, in the beginning was the word, Jesus. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and full of truth. Jesus is God. He is our life. He is the source of life. He is the light of men. He is the light that, come on, we just sang it, that overcomes the darkness. And he is present. He is personal. And he is knowable. So if God exists, I think he's worthy to be worshiped. I think he's worthy to be surrendered to. And I believe that for all of us, we all have a next step in this process. Again, if you're an atheist, maybe you're watching online, or you're one that is struggling right now with whether you believe in God or not, my, my hope is that you would take a next step, right? Maybe you're an agnostic, and you've, you've held that belief. Here's the thing, once you've stated your belief, isn't it kind of difficult to come off of that statement? Like before people, you almost feel like you, people will judge you or look down upon you, Hey guys, look, if, if truth is truth, let it change you and who cares what people think, right? You're an agnostic, you've been, you've been so, you've, hold, you've held tightly to it, but, but you agree and you know that things are moving towards this deistic type of conversation and, and some of you have held that belief, but you've also felt like God is not really involved in your life. He doesn't see you, he doesn't know you. I wanna encourage you today that he does. He sees you, he knows you. Come on, y'all, if he, he, if, he, if he knows what's going on in the big things and he knows and he's intricately involved in what's going on in the small things, you are not a small thing to God. You are made in his image. He knows you, he sees you. And lastly, I know that a lot of you, you've dabbled into a lot of different religions and right now you actually sit confused. You know that there's a higher power. You know that there's something out there and you believe that he's personally involved. You've experienced things. You've experienced different realms. You, you know that you know. Nobody can, can, can come against you and, and, and decide that for you. But here you are and the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus is being presented. And this is another piece of information 
that we believe that we will all be accountable for whenever we die. We're accountable, whether you want it to be or not. You've heard the gospel today. And now you have this information that's been brought to you. And God is knocking on the heart, the door of your heart, okay? And he's like, look, I, I love you. I see you. I know you. I've done everything for you. I've created you. I sent Jesus to die for you. And today, come on, believe in me. Believe in me. We all have to have faith walking out of this room today. My hope is that your faith will be placed in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. I want to pray for you. God, I pray for each person in this place right now. God, in this moment of clarity, in this moment of having heard and, and seen all of these different conversations, although it's not exhaustive, God, I'm praying that right now that you would confirm things in all of our hearts, that you would encourage us in our faith in you. If you're in this place right now and you know that you're far from God, you don't really know him, I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to him right now. And what that simply means is just surrendering your heart to him. I'm gonna pray a prayer. And if that's you, you don't have to pray the exact words I pray, but I wanna encourage you to connect with your God, to pray to him. He's here right now to redeem and save you. Say something like this, God, I don't know it all, but God, today I'm willing and ready to surrender it all. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to me Reveal Jesus to me. Help me to understand intellectually. But God, right now, God, I need to experience you, your presence, who you are, this thing that everybody's talking about. God, I put my faith in you right now. I believe that you made all things that I see and know. I thank you for Jesus, for sending him to this earth to die on the cross for my sin and my shame and to give me a, a, a way out of sin a way out of this condition that I've been born in. I repent of my sin and I turn to you and I thank you for what you're doing in my life right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <laughs>